Hello, hello, and welcome to the Pipcac Show. The last two weeks have been packed with so much stuff, including an interview with the head of the Manjaro Arm Project, Dan Johansson. But before we get to that, there are a couple of things that I have to get out of the way first. Before anything else, I made a mistake in the last episode. When I originally announced the first show on the Fediverse, I made the promise that I wouldn't tag everyone again. By the time I released the second episode, I'd completely forgotten this and tagged everyone I mentioned in that episode. I was reminded in no uncertain terms of my error. Rather than apologize and make more promises, I believe actions speak louder than words. Starting from this episode, you'll see a distinct difference in how I approach this issue. Hopefully, it'll meet with your expectations. Secondly, there is literally so much that's happened in the last two weeks that I'm going to have to shorten each item down to the minimum amount of info just to be able to get through it all. So please forgive me if I skip over whichever project you're involved with. It's not any less important than any other project. It's just with the limited time that I have, I struggle to get it all together and easily miss some of the project announcements. Finally, some people have taken issue with the volume of the sound effects of previous episodes, so I'll try and balance them better in this episode. Don't forget that if you have any interest in the main driving force behind Manjaro Arm, stick around until the end to catch the interview with Dan. Let's get into it. Ubiports has received a ton of new apps, an HTML5 word processor called LightP, OnionSurf, which is a fork of Morph Browser that includes a partial implementation of Tor, a transmission client called Transmission Remote, GemFork, an updated Gem and Gopher browser, and Multimaps that displays images from Satellites.pro. OTA20 gets a critical bug fix for an evolution sync when used with servers using Let's Encrypt. User-facing improvements include the ability to customize almost all of your notification sounds, and lastly, vibration and LED notifications. A final note here, it's been confirmed that OTA21 will not contain 20.04. Purism has had a bumper fortnight. Nicole Farber discussed the future of smartphones with some interesting people of various projects, including the Circle Phone, Samsung, and Protocol. With the upcoming 5.14 and 5.15 kernels, the Librem 5 camera stack gets some improvements, and they're planning on adding the MIPI CS11 receiver and controller driver to the Linux mainline. The SD card reader now supports full runtime suspend to help with power saving. The battery management and charge prediction also get some much needed cleanup with some minor updates. Gardner Bryant has released the fifth episode of his video editing on Linux series of videos covering audio capture and editing. Fosh 0.14.0 also has some great progress with launch splash support and a media player widget that has proper seek buttons and a hotspot notification in the top bar. Fock gets bumped up to 0.9.0, but it comes with a note to devs that how application IDs are reported for GTK3 applications has changed. This may affect scale-to-fit applications, and it may require configuration changes. The release notes have more information. 
fellow Kiwi Camden Bruce of Dahlia OS fame wrote a nice blog reviewing the Pine Phone and its progress over the last year of daily driving. His experiences seem to mirror most other users with both achievements and the pitfalls that distros tend to fall into. He also quickly states his opinions about all of the different distros available. Definitely worth a read just to get a rough idea of how the Pine Phone could be viewed by new users. Pine64 are experiencing some difficulties with shipping again. Logistics in China and the US have pushed up delivery times dramatically, with the US copping it the hardest. There is no particular reason provided by Pine, but an influx of support tickets has forced them to respond. The Raspberry Pi CM4 pin-compatible SO Quartz should be available for purchase this coming week, available in 2, 3, and 8 gigabyte models for $35, $50, and $75 respectively. These models do not contain eMMC, but do contain a Wi-Fi Bluetooth module. Models without this wireless module will be made available later. The PinePhone Pro has been withdrawn from pre-orders. Apparently, there have been upwards of four times the amount of applications that there are actual units. Applications are still open and processing is set to start this week. Paul von Zimmermann has posted a great article about connecting external peripherals to the PinePhone using I2C over the pogo pins. Using I2C, Rust and the D-Bus, he shows how after connecting a small display, he got it to display the cell phone signal level. Great work. Raphael over at Tuxphones wrote up an interesting post about how Unisoc chips have had some patches accepted into the upstream kernel. These include patches for the Unisoc DRM KMS module, regulator support and clock support. Links to the patch sets are available in the post. Linmob has been going hell for leather again. Another two Linbits are up on his site with some really great info about the PinePhone Pro and links out to resources and updates. Linbits67 covers some really great points from Pine64's Lucas's Reddit AMA. A big list of video responses, blog posts and general sentiment surrounding the PinePhone Pro announcement. Linbits68 gets more into software, listing off a nice page full of software releases and updates. Don't forget he's always looking for contributions to Linmob apps, so if you've got a bit of spare time, give it a go. Also, congratulations on making it to 3,000 followers on Twitter. JingOS has posted a video demonstrating running Android apps on JingOS 1.0. The speed of launching and displaying the app seems to be really good. Also in the video is a JingPad running Android as a comparison. A second video posted earlier in the month showed Cody running on JingOS as well. While not buttery smooth, it's looking really good nonetheless. This bodes well for other projects as well. If JingOS can utilize Android apps at near native speeds, then it helps show that mobile Linux as a daily driver may be closer than we originally thought. The team behind Precursor, the RISC-V-based SoC dev kit, announced some interesting new info on their crowd supply. They finally got some basic networking set up with the ability to utilize DHCP on an IPv4 network, answering ARP queries and a framework for packet filtering. They've stopped short of TCP because they're not comfortable with how immature the network stack is at the moment. Their CNC shop is already spitting out product based on the new PVD process. Bunny notes that they definitely have enough hardware to produce the needed stock to send out to backers, 
that it's likely that they'll be unable to source any parts for new business. He states he's definitely working on it though. This Week in Genome has a great post pointing out some major updates including two new style classes for Libid Whiter, Dot .card and Dot .opaque. Musai is now in Genome Circle, an app capable of listening via your microphone that can identify songs and artists. Newsflash has dropped support for Feedly in the FlatHub release because of an expired API secret. Custom builds will still have the code present so you can add your own secret if needed. Instead, Newsflash 1.5.0 includes support for InnoReader. Fragments, the BitTorrent client, is being written in Rust using libadwiter. Support for magnet links and queue reordering is on the way. A great report coming out of MauiKit highlighting the vast improvements to startup times on ARM devices. Improvements have made it possible to load most Maui apps in under 5 seconds on even the slowest devices. Clip is now capable of using either MPV or GStreamer backends and the UI has been updated to bring it more into line with other Maui apps. Any Maui kit framework can use the Qt Quick Compiler now to pre-compile QML. Hopefully in the upcoming 2.1.0 release, Strike and Sol should have moved to Stable and Booth is likely to move to Beta. Index, Wave, Nota, Buho, Pix, Station, Clip, Shelf and Communicator all boast large improvements to boot times and general overall improvements. Developer Cloud Canberra live streamed a session showing his work process while working on a critical bug in KDE Calendar. He goes over some important issues and provides some insight into how these problems are resolved. He answered a lot of questions from viewers and gives great explanations about the project and processes behind it all. Lip Yuen Lee has been experimenting with I2C on the Pine phone and has posted some great pictures showing the layout of the LoRa backplate. He goes on to literally build the driver, showing all of the steps he took so that anyone can follow along. He breaks the whole process down, reading the SX1262 registers, transmits messages on the USB dongle, and shows how SDF radio helps with troubleshooting LoRa devices. Gamey has done us proud once again with one hell of a post writing up a review of practically every major Matrix client available for Linux phones. The main review consists of FluffyChat, Hydrogen, Neko, NeoChat, Fractal and Chatty. He lists off his impressions of each and links out to their respective source repos. There are some interesting notes in there, especially about how push notifications are still lacking, but there is some work being done on unified push for Linux. It's still very much a work in progress though. And things that make me jealous news. Martine Bram posted a video showing Fosh running on the PinePhone Pro. It looks really nice and snappy. Obviously there are improvements that need to be made, but even in its current state, it looks hella good. He points out that launch speeds are likely to be slower as he's running a slow SD card. Animations look as smooth as silk definitely getting closer to mid-range phone worthy. Performance improvements are a real step above what we're used to on the original Pine phone. Along with this video, he also released version 0.6.0 of Number Station, which brings with it the ability to import and export. Dank12 posted an update with details about the Arch Linux ARM release. The kernel is bumped up to 5.14.13. 
Mesa, Call Ord, Purple Matrix, and Purple Telegram all get number increases. The Plasma mobile image gets a couple of needed updates as well, including the Wayland backend for Firefox. And out of nowhere, they go and drop an SXMO image. As a side note, Dankt has also sent out an alert for a known issue upstream with updating. There is an unsatisfied dependency, and he advises that it may be best to hold off until the issue is resolved upstream. Mogwai, the lead developer of KDE Casts, has announced that Casts is now capable of syncing subscriptions and episode play positions with gpodder.net and the Nextcloud gpodder app. You can look forward to it in the upcoming Plasma Mobile Gear release 21.11. In Mobian news, Chris has had VVMD and VVM Player accepted into Debian Unstable. This is awesome news. Congratulations, mate. He's also been working on Fosh Anti-Spam, which should be available in the upcoming 41.1 Genome Calls release. The UI is looking really slick. Also from Mobian, they'd like to remind everyone that they're dropping support for Bullseye and ask everyone to upgrade to Bookworm as soon as possible. There's upgrade information on the blog, but a more comprehensive guide will be coming shortly. This is not a test. Got that right. And that about covers the news for this last fortnight. Remember that if you participate in a project and you'd like to have me include any announcements or news, just tag the official Pebcac Show account in your post and I'll get in touch. Now, with a small note about how Manjaro um, Fosh 17 was released this last fortnight, on to the interview with Dan. So, hi Dan. Thank you very much for joining me today. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Dan Johansson. I'm 30 years old, 38 years old, and I am the project lead on the Manjaro Arm project, which is a daughter project of the Manjaro project. And Manjaro Arm is directly responsible for all of the images that are, you know, Pinebook Pro, Pinephone, and other devices along those lines. Yeah, uh, we have been uh, chosen to be the default uh, OS on most of the Pine devices. So so far, that's the Pinebook, the Pinebook Pro, the Pinephone, and now also the Pinephone Pro. And we will also be the default on the Pine Note. That's that's awesome. That's a pretty big achievement. Yeah. Now, going back through um, some of the stuff I've researched about you, you're in Denmark, yes? Yes, I am. Yeah, I live... Denmark is pretty small. It consists of uh, some islands, so two large islands, and then a, a bit of landmass connected to Germany, which is where I live in the southern part of that landmass, near the uh, area around Ribe which is the city I live in. You're pretty heavy into your own, uh, in your own hobbies. You like your D&D, yeah. World of Warcraft, Magic the Gathering. So how long have you been playing D&D? D&D I've been playing since I was a kid. I think I was 10 or 11 when I started. Right, and you were introduced by friends or? Yeah, yeah, I was friends uh, out on, uh, we were going camping each summer at the same spot and I had some friends over there and they started playing and they invited me to join them. Nice. And do you prefer to be a player or the dungeon master? I prefer being the player, but I'm often the dungeon master. Right. And do you play with the tabletop or is it all written? Yeah, it's a tabletop, yeah. Tabletop. Nice. 
I, I've seen a, a lot of people get it really heavily into building the 3D printed environments. And yeah, we don't do that as much. I usually draw on paper or something when they are going into dungeons, just so they have an idea. And you've got your own YouTube channel and stuff set up? Uh, yeah, it's not used that much anymore. I was using it heavily back when I played World of Warcraft, which I haven't done for a few years now. I, I noticed that in one of your videos there, or a couple of your vlogs, you were talking about losing weight and you look pretty damn good I, I i'll admit it it doesn't look like you need to lose any more weight it must have done wonders oh thank you uh the those are actually pretty old videos at this point yeah but uh but yeah i i maintain my weight i'd say <laughs> at this mm. point yeah yeah I, I i struggle with mine I, i'm on a keto diet yeah. myself so me and my wife are she's lost something ridiculous like 25 30 kilos okay. And I ended up losing. I've lost 15 so far, and I'm still on my way yeah, down. That's great. Now, some of your early work prior to technology, you were driving elderly and invalid people, I noticed. Uh, not really driving them. No? I was driving things for them. Oh. So, like wheelchairs and their beds, you know, the elevation yep. uh, beds. I was supplying those remedies to them. Oh, okay. So, more of um, helping rather than... Yeah, yeah, making their lives easier by getting them the the remedies they need to make their lives gotcha. easier. Gotcha. Is that what led you into working the IT support? Is that what led into that? Yeah, that led into that eventually. Mm. I have an education of IT support, but I couldn't get any work for that in the start. So I started driving the, mm. the remedies around for those, but then I got a foot in the door in the government, county government thing. And then... Uh, I started seeing around if there was anything that was IT related or stuff. And then at some point, a job offering popped up, mm -hmm. which was also regarding elderly and handicapped people just with IT systems. So setting up IT systems for blind and visually impaired people or hearing impaired or handicapped gotcha. so they can interface with their computer. Gotcha. So those um, like the Braille readers and things for blind. Yeah. Yep. Gotcha. Understood. Stuff like that. And screen readers and magnifying software and stuff like that nice mostly nice now moving more into the technology stuff this is going right back to the beginning i was listening to one of the podcasts that you were on um i think it was linux something <laughs> I, 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 probably spotlight that's the one they, they disappeared yeah. at the end of last year and haven't returned so yeah I, anyway, I, I listened to it, and and they you mentioned that you had an Amiga six hundred as a as a family computer. Yes, yeah, was that um, a machine that you used for gaming as well? Because I remember some of those early Amiga games yeah. were spectacular. Yeah, I played a I played a lot of a game called Stunt Car back then. Yes, which was a three D game, one of the early three D games <laughs> where you were riding on a you know a slope. Or yep. like a uh, like a track on on slopes. Yep. So you could fall off and stuff like that, and you had to do tricks to cross some things and all that stuff. That was great fun. It had like that wire wire frame, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The car was like a almost a wireframe car with a few textures on it. Yep. Yeah. And it, and basically all you saw was the engine sticking out the front of the screen. Yeah. And the track was kind of this. Yeah. And the landscape was just <laughs> plain gray. Yes. And then you just had the track. It goes up and down and yep. turns around and stuff, yeah. I, I used to be so jealous of people with the Amiga because you had the Amiga 500, the 500 HD, and then the 600. And I on, on my Atari 520, the best I could hope for was basically just 
16 colors and that was about it yeah i mean i think we got a boost up with the ste i think we got 256 colors but the audio was great the games were horrible yeah and everyone on the amiga <laughs> had these lovely flowing graphics and beautiful background music and i'm like oh but you know i want that yeah things like gods and golden axe and yeah i remember one of my school buddies had a computer i can't remember which one it was but there was a game with it on on diskette which was uh, lotus which was a racing game like a real racing game with opponents i spent buttloads of hours on that one um and they i i i heard the guys on that podcast they didn't know what the thunderbird yeah. was and it was pretty funny <laughs> i'm like I'm, I'm like you guys come on it, it was it was an athlon it was an Athlon. Uh, it was a, one of the early Athlons. Right. Yeah. It was a 1 gigahertz, 1 gigahertz clock speed, yeah. uh, 800 megahertz front side bus. It was a it was a pretty damn good CPU. <laughs> I, at the time it was, yeah. 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 I, I, I had a good laugh at that. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I remember I actually had to take out a loan to buy that PC. Really? Yeah, it was that expensive. I had to take out a loan for it. <sighs> You've got a pretty big thing about movies as well, right? I do, yeah. I really love movies. What sort of movies are you into? Uh, pretty much anything. I love horror. I love action. I love the epic fantasy tales and uh, superhero movies and stuff like that. Have, have you seen Dune? Yeah. Yeah, I saw Dune when it came out here in Denmark. What did you think? I, th I thought it was great. Uh, I hadn't seen the old one in quite a while, so... I got to see this with a couple the 1984 of one. Yeah, the 84 one. Yeah. Do you remember it as a comparison to the new one, or uh, not really? Because I hadn't seen the old one in like 20 years. Oh, so you're gonna have to go back and watch it now. <laughs> I go, I have to go back and watch the old one. Yeah, but the new it, one was pretty nice. It was, wasn't it? I, I was quite surprised yeah. to see like Dave Batista playing Raban. Yeah, and he does it so well; it's almost effortless. <laughs> yeah, it's very Drax-like in some ways. Very, very, and yeah. um. And what's his name? Uh, Skarsgård. Yeah, still in Skarsgård, yeah. Playing the Baron. Yeah, yeah, he did that well. Oh, it was almost scary how well he did it. Yeah. I was a little bit disappointed. Yeah. I realized that it was only going to be part one. Yeah, I saw that in the theater as well. And I thought, part one? Hmm, this is going to be a long <laughs> saga. Then. And then when I got towards the end, I'm like, okay, there's got to be a part two. It seems like they're following the same trend as yeah. the miniseries did. Yeah, I, I've heard they, uh, they want to make it a trilogy. Mm. So they have part one, part two, which follows the main book. And then they think uh, part three is going to be one of the next books. They're going to be adapting to that. Probably his son, because uh, Paul Atreides is supposed to have a son who takes over and becomes what he was, what Paul was supposed to be. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Um, sorry, the reason I ask is because you, you work on a, a program called Griffith, yeah? Yeah, I took over the code base because the other de the developers were fading away and I thought it still needs to be maintained because mm. I use it to maintain a database over my DVDs and Blu-rays. Okay, and so it is just basically cataloging your own movies? Yeah, or, yeah? yeah it's for cataloging uh, movies and uh, and series it can do series as well oh cool so uh where does it pull the data from or do you have to manually enter it? uh there are plugins for a different couple of places uh the most used ones are imdb and TMDB. tvdb yeah. and what what language is it in? uh it's written in python and dgk3 and it's run as a server or is it a standalone application no, it's just a standalone application that creates cool. a database. That's awesome. I'll make sure to have a link to that in the description. And Ubuntu, what brought you to Linux? Come on. Mm -hmm. 
Ubuntu being your first, yeah. what 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 got got you hooked on Ubuntu? Well, well, it was my first daily driver uh, Linux because my first Linux experience was actually Red Hat Six. Right, right, right. Back when I was taking my education, uh, we were setting up firewalls and mail service and such on Red Hat Six. Postfix. Uh, I believe it was, yeah. <laughs> I don't envy you. <laughs> no. Postfix is horrible. Uh, 20 years ago. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. So, from Red Hat, you, you were at Ubuntu. Yeah, I dabbled around uh, a little with uh, Mandrake and uh, other stuff in between. But I settled on Ubuntu because they had pretty good out-of-the-box experience for the desktop. It was it was nice, yeah. wasn't it? It was probably the first one that I came across that actually felt like a full-blown desktop. Yeah, and I only discovered it in like 2010, 2011. So that's when I started trying it out and I was using it primarily from, I think it was 11.10 to 13.10 or so. And that's when you switched over to Manjaro KDE Plasma? Yeah, that's where I heard about Manjaro first. So I tried out the XFCE edition of Manjaro because that was the flagship. Mm. And I always liked XFCE because it, light, it was light and you could customize it the way you wanted it. And the Manjaro version looks pretty good for an XFCE. Man Manjaro is a very different beast to, to Ubuntu, yeah. though. And under the hood, it's very different. And that's part of what I struggled with. What about Manjaro really captured your attention? Like, because it is so different underneath, what, what made it something? I think it actually was that you didn't have to go through these major updates. I've done a few... So the rolling before. release? So I like the fact that it was kind of rolling release. It's not really rolling because mm. you have these uh, stable updates on Manjaro, which comes in every few weeks, uh, which is kind of a big update, but not as big as a disk upgrade on Ubuntu would be. Gotcha. So you went to XFCE and then moved over to KDE Plasma? Yeah, I did that a year or so after I uh, started on XFCE. And how did you get involved with Manjaro Arm? I mean, that's a, that's a big project. Yeah, uh, it is now. Uh, it didn't start out that way. In 2016, I noticed a guy named Josh Crowder started up the Manjaro Arm project. He wanted to build Manjaro Arm, Manjaro Arm for the Raspberry Pi and similar boards like a big bone. And uh, I thought that was great. And I wanted to contribute with something so I asked what I could contribute with, and he said, well, you can start by hosting a mirror. I really need mirrors. <laughs> yeah. So I thought, well, all right, I'll set up an async script and a thing on my PC, and I'll just host a mirror for him. So I did that for a couple of months, gotcha. and then uh, I started trying out how to build an Manjaro ARM image for Raspberry Pi, and uh, I've bought an Odroid board at that point. So I thought, I'll try making it work on the Odroid, yep. which I did at that point, I started becoming more of a developer, working more closely with Josh on how to do things. And, and you were saying you, you're a bit of a script kitty. You, you've got it listed in a couple of places. So that that's bash scripting yeah. and things, right? Yeah, that's like bash, simple bash. And uh, I've started a lit on Python as well. But uh, yeah, I'm not a programmer. I was going to say, so when you say uh, developing, that you you mean scripting things to, to do what you want to? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. I'm not a programmer, so I just try scripting things together. Yeah, yeah. I get I get the feeling we're on the same wavelength there because I I, I tend to get lazy and I'd rather script yeah. something rather than have to do it manually. <laughs> yeah, which was also actually the the way I thought about doing the Manjiao Arm tools because we were actually in the beginning when we were making images and we were updating the images, we were actually taking an old image, mm -hmm. uh shooting into that image or booting it up, updating it while it was booted, took it down and then truncated the image yep. back down again yep. and repackaging it. 
that was how we did it back then. So you always had the very old uh, file system in place, actually. Yeah. But yeah. then in the, I think it was in the spring of 2018, All right. I started working on the Manjaro ARM tools, which is a collection of bash scripts that actually sets up loop devices and uh, sees root file systems and installs the packaging, uh, packages in there, base strapping it and, and all that stuff and getting it working. So it has been a long way of fine tuning it to do what I want. Surely th there's got to be a fairly decent team behind it now. Yeah, I think guys that work on Montiel Arm specifically, we are like four, where we have a couple of extra from the main Manjao team putting in once in a while. Okay. Like Philip doing the force images and Bernard doing some of the plasma mobile images. And because the amount of amount of work that goes into these images is pretty hefty now. Yeah. Uh, in the beginning, we created the images by hand. So for each image, I had to run the script yep. and upload it and stuff like that. And that took a while. So that's why we already, we only supported like mm -hmm. six devices at a time with two or three editions each were each one mm -hmm. but then we found out we can use github actions we found out that like a year ago we could use github actions to create the images oh, right. in parallel so github actions is kind of like jenkins yeah yeah it is and it's just free for public projects so as long as we create the projects public we we get free runtimes on the actions right so when i kick off a new release I just push the buttons on each device uh, repo we have, mm -hmm. and it creates images. So last release we had here in October, uh, I created 90 images. <laughs> on the wow. Yeah, because wow. we support like 15 devices now, and they each have six editions. So That's impressive. That is not even counting the uh, Pine tab wow. and the Pine phone. Those are not in the main releases yet. And next you got the Pine Note, so yeah. that's going to be adding more, yeah? And the Pine phone Pro is also going to add yeah. a bit more. Yeah. You're getting support from Pine? Yeah, uh, we we have a partnership with Pine64, so they send, send us some devices, so we have something to develop on. Mm -hmm. And uh, we develop the things, and mm -hmm. we create images for them. They can put on their devices. They might be a little bit specialized, you know, with a special wallpaper or something like that yep. compared to regular devices. But other than that, it's basically the same images. And then they might give a bit something back to us gotcha, uh, gotcha. monetarily. We're seeing yeah. Manjaro Arm on a ton of devices now, especially mobile phones, things like the Liberal 5, the Pine Phone, the Pro X1, and the Vola Phone. Um, what, what's your opinion of mobile Linux in general? I mean, as a mm -hmm. daily driver or as a mainstream project, do you, do you see it having a future? Yeah, I think it's a it's an interesting part of the mobile spectrum because right now we have the two big ones, the Duopoly, so to speak, which is the Google OS Android and the iOS yep. from Apple. Those are the two big ones. And now Linux is starting to try and scooch mm. in the middle, so to say, you know, just scooching in <laughs> yep, just right yep. there. And I think that by getting to PinePhone and the PinePhone Pro especially is going to push it more into mainstream. So more and more people would get to know about it and thus will more and more apps will be developed for it. Mm -hmm. Arnaud, you, you remember I spoke, I don't know whether you remember, I spoke with him uh, last month and asked his opinion. And he was, he was a, rightfully worried yeah. that mobile Linux isn't going to make inroads into the mainstream. What's your opinion? I think it takes time. It won't make it this year. It won't make it next year. Probably won't make it in maybe the next five years. Mm. But I think if 
this keeps going and more and more vendors want to create Linux phones because now we have Volaphone mm. is creating a Linux phone now. Pine creates a Linux phone. Purism creates a Linux phone. When more and more vendors get into this, more and more people get aware of the phones and that there is a possibility mm. to run pure Linux on a phone. But yeah, it's going to take time. The main thing that caught me about the Pine phone was the fact that I could add the whole convergence thing where I could potentially just have a computer in my pocket that plugged into a monitor and a keyboard, you know? Yeah, because that's what exactly what the Pine phone actually is. It is actually a Linux computer just in a phone form factor. Mm -hmm. And that really appealed to yeah. me. That really appealed yeah. to me. So the only reason that it's actually running a touch-based interface is because of the screen. Mm. If it didn't have a screen and you just plugged it into a USB-C monitor, it, it would just be plain, it would just be a plain desktop, yeah. Was there anything you wanted to speak about um, potential future um, hardware that you're looking at supporting or are you pretty satisfied with where things are at at the moment? Well, we're always looking to support newer hardware. So when the Raspberry Pi 5 comes out, we're obviously going to support that one as well. Yeah. Uh, and same when the new Rockchip uh, boards come out from Pine, we're going to support mm -hmm. that and uh, some new Odroids probably and new catas boards and stuff like that yeah would donations of hardware be helpful things like um like the orange pie for example or beagle boards or um sbcs that would would any of those be helpful to the project uh sure they they could be uh if they fit into the uh, architecture we're playing with we are uh, arm 64 based only so we don't do arm v7 we do arm v8 only at this point so old arm v7 boards uh we are not going to kind of on their way. They're kind of on their way out. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we made that uh, decision a couple of years back to just support the ARM V8 mm -hmm. architecture. Are there any inroads at the moment looking into like Risk Five? Uh, I have thought about it, but uh, it, it seems like a pretty complex. Yeah, and it would require us situation. to actually bootstrap the entire Risk Five repo because Arch does not have a RISC-V repo yet. Right. And we are based on Arch, so most of our packages are actually coming directly from Arch. So this is all mainline supported, yeah. uh, upstream support. Yeah. yeah, yeah. we're working out from their support Very and just cool. adding on our own. They have support for the Raspberry Pis and many of the Odroids and uh, all those. And we have just adding added on top of that uh, all the Pine phones and the Pinebook Pros stuff like that, that they don't support yet. So kind of like overlays, yeah? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, so gotcha. we use the Arts uh, repos for our main packages. It's just so much good comes from Arts, so we just use that. And then we overlay our own packages on top of that. Mm. I think we maintain like 300 packages at this point. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. For, for a team of, what, four people, that's a lot of packages. Yeah, well... Most of it doesn't get updated that often, so <laughs> yeah. Because the main packages we update is usually the kernels and the some of the uh, interface uh, packages that Arch does not have. Mm -hmm. We update those, like the Plasma Mobile packages. Right. Arch does not have those. So we update those. Oh, gotcha. So yeah, okay, yeah. that'd account for a large amount of packages. <laughs> it can, yeah. Yeah. We also have a lot of uh, pages that uh, we haven't updated in a while, like the Lumiri ones. Yes, please, please bring back Lumiri. And the reason is that 
the reason we actually started doing the Lemiri ones was because one of the Lemiri developers was actually helping us out with making the packages and updating them. But he has since gone missing. Missing? He hasn't been active. He hasn't been active in like a year. Right. So that just means that our packages haven't been updated in like yeah. a year. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> Which means Lumiri does not boot anymore. Yeah. Because so much underneath it has changed. I, I was I was when I first got my Pine phone, I've tried the three three different flavors, you know, Fosh, KDE, mm-hmm. and Lumiri. And Lumiri was just gorgeous. It it was smooth it was unique enough that it differentiated from everything else on the market and i thought yes this is it but then there were no more images ever (laughs) yeah lumiri is a great interface it really is and it has had uh the development cycle for some years now so Mm. it is really mature yeah yeah but we need that extra push to actually keep them updated because the lumiri packages uh that are based on the up ports Lumiri interface mm-hmm. are actually not based on release tarballs. Oh. They are based on Git gotcha. packages, which is a huge maintenance issue when the main developer of that stack goes missing. Yeah, I imagine so. Because we don't know what to update in what order or anything because that was And there's been no word from doing. the UB ports team? Yeah. Mm. I, I think I'm going to have to get in touch with them and tell them off. <laughs> I like Lemiri. Bring it back. Yeah. I don't know if they anyway. just lost interest in packing, packaging it for Manjaro or if there was some logistics involved or something like that. But Yeah. 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 Oh, look, everyone's got, got the, um, things outside of this. I, I yeah. fully understand that. Exactly, yeah. Um, but it was so nice. It really was. I really liked it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, and if anyone wants to help contribute to the Manjaro Arm project and devices how, how can they help like um are you looking for people that can program or script or well i'm always looking for people to to enhance our build tools okay because there are still a few issues here and there that i would like to iron out but i'm not a programmer i don't know how this stuff works underneath so so if people can help uh reviewing the code and the scripts and make suggestions and stuff like that that would be great mm-hmm. Uh, and that's all on your GitLab, yeah? Yeah, that's all on uh, Demon Yao GitLab. And stuff like documentation, providing wiki pages, stuff like that. It's also something we are not that good right, at. Right. So. Very good. Okay, well, I think that about covers it. Is there anything you'd like to add? No, I think we pretty much, pretty much good. got around it all. Excellent. Yeah. Well, in that case, thank you very much for joining me today. And I will make sure to add and share all the links to everything we've discussed down in the description sure thank you very much yeah, no problem am i on the air yes and with that i call an end to another fortnight thanks to everyone in the community for your support and especially to dan for giving me some of his time to answer a few questions and have a laugh with me if you'd like to hear a behind the scenes unedited version of the interview i'll be posting it soon don't forget the podcast is now available on anchor spotify breaker stitcher and pocket casts the mp3 aac og flack and opus feeds also have been updated with new redirects and the peer tube feed is available for those who prefer video all links are available on my homepage, pebcac.show thanks for another great fortnight and see you again on the 15th of november